I believe that all success starts from the inside out. Success doesn't start on the outside, success starts inside of us. And then we become successful because of who we are or who we become. You're listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. All right. Hello. This is Nikki Ballou, and we are on with another phenomenal episode of the podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership. I am here with my incredible co-founder and co-host, Michael Palmer. Say hello to the folks, Michael. Hello, everyone. Phenomenal, phenomenal. We have a real treat for you today. Our guest is a legend in the industry. He is one of North America's top thought leaders in the arena of serving the real estate sales market. I am, of course, speaking of none other than the one, the only, the legend himself, Richard Robbins. Say hello to everyone, Richard. Great to be here, Nikki and Michael. And uh, boy, you make me sound much better than I am. I promise you that. (laughs) Oh, no, no. All you got to do is live up to it now, my man. No pressure. (laughs) No pressure. If you could, just for the benefit of our listener, tell everyone how you got started in the industry. And by the industry, I mean the industry of being an expert and a thought leader, because I know you've had a background in the real estate industry itself. Uh, and how you got to be Richard Robbins, how you got to be, you know, one of the leading experts in real estate sales education in North America. Well, basically, I owned a real estate company. And when I owned a real estate company, what I did, I spent a large percentage of my time coaching and training my people. And we ended up having the highest production per agent of any company in the trading area by three. And there was one of my agents said to me, you know, you work so hard with us, you know, why don't you consider working with more people? And as crazy as it sounds, that was the seed of the dream. Wow. And from there, I thought, well, you know, maybe I can take this outside of just a real estate brokerage. And so within 18 months of that all happening, I, you know, incorporated Richard Robbins International. And I took what I was doing with a smaller group of people, basically to a larger group of people. And then as we started to produce results for the people we're working with, of course, word spreads. And um, and it's been a 20-year journey. I've been doing this 20 years now. So I feel uh, I feel very honored to get to what I do every day. And I love it. That's great, uh, Richard. I'd love to hear a little bit of those early days. What was that like? You know, you went from, you, you basically created something brand new for your own personal brand and future company. Tell us a little bit, what would that look like? Well, it was painful uh, and exciting all at the same time. I think when anybody starts a brand new company, um, you, you know, you start at zero. And what did I know about speaking publicly? Not a lot. Uh, what did I know about you know, coaching people outside of my own real estate brokerage, not an awful lot. Uh, So what I did my very first year, I said, okay, uh, what I need to do is I need to get out there. Um, I I know I'm going to be doing a lot of speaking in the future if if this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Well, I need to develop that skill. So I set a goal for myself that I was going to do 50 talks in one year. What I did, this is back in the good old fax days, and I started faxing out to a lot of the brokerages across Canada that I would be willing to come in and do a free talk. 
Um, I knew nobody's going to pay me. They didn't know me. They didn't know what I did. So I thought, what a great way for me to get out there, to meet people, to talk about what I at least believed to be true at the time, but also to develop my skills. Because to develop skill, you got to practice, 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 practice. And at the end of the first year, um, I had done 51 talks. So my goal every week was just to book a talk. I might not be doing the talk that week. It might be six weeks or two months out. And by the time I got to the end of the year, I had actually done 51 talks uh, across Canada at the time. And I was coaching 46 people by the end of the year. So I had then created a business because now people were paying me to coach them. But then I had a new challenge. I had what you call golden handcuffs because if you're coaching 46 people and trying to do 50 talks, you just start to run out of time, which means you can't scale, you can't grow. So how'd you overcome that challenge, Richard? What I had to look at at the time was obviously I'm a bit of a personal development junkie. And, and one thing that I discovered uh, through reading, going to seminars, was that you have to find what it is. Like, you know, what is your superpower? What do you do better than anybody else? What do you, and when you're doing it, you're energizing other people as you do it. And you would like to do it, which means you'll spend more time doing it. And for me, I discovered it was speaking. I love to speak in front of groups of people. I had a message that I really believed in. When people heard the message, they seemed to get really excited. I was getting emails from people saying, hey, boy, you know, it changed my life. It changed my business. Uh, so I thought, okay, well, if if that's what I want to do, then what I have to do is I've got to somehow figure out how to delegate out the coaching because the coaching is one-on-one. I'm not really that scalable. So I, I started to hire and I started to train coaches. I said, I, I, I've got to delegate something here. And for me, I knew that I wasn't as good a coach as I was a speaker, and I enjoyed the speaking side more. So I started to hire and train coaches. You know, since then, we've, you know, we've coached over, you know, 10,000 people. So it's been, it's been quite a journey. It's phenomenal. Yeah, Rich, this is one of the things that I really, really admire about you is how you took the germ of something you were very passionate about and turned it into something fantastic. Now, you've also written a best-selling book called Deliver the Unexpected. Could you talk to the listener about that? What had you write the book? How has the book helped you in promoting your core message? And what's really been the impact on your audience? Well... First of all, I always had a dream to write a book. And I, you know, I remember in 2001, I, I had written down a goal that I wanted to write a book. I'm not a good writer. You know, sometimes you'll see people that are, you know, they, they can talk, but sometimes they can't write. You see other people that are great writers and they're not necessarily good speakers. There's some people that are great at both. I'm not one of them. But I had this dream. So what I did was I aligned myself with a writer and uh, I sort of put everything together. And then I, I wanted the writer to turn into a fable because I like reading fables. I like when there's characters and there's drama, but when there's a real life message in there and the book to me, I wanted to write something. What, what I was doing was I was trying to identify what most people believe to be true, but I wasn't convinced was true. And then what was the new truth behind that? So, you know, I call it Deliver the Unexpected and Six Other New Truths for Business Success. Um, because if you look at the world, let's face it, um, there's a lot of people that would like to be more successful than they are. So the question is, do they have the ability to be successful? And I believe they do. I believe that everybody has the right and everybody has the ability to succeed if they truly want to. But then what's holding them back? 
Uh, is it opportunity? No, there's opportunity out there. There's other people doing it, which means, you know, that they can go out and do it if they choose to. Do they have the ability? I said they do. So what that tells me something that they must have some beliefs that possibly are holding them back. And, you know, I just subscribe to the fact that if you can change some of your beliefs, then you can completely change your life. And unfortunately, if you look at us as a society, we're probably conditioned a little bit by mediocrity. So anyway, that's what the book was all about, is trying to identify some things that maybe a lot of people believe to be true, and then turning that around and trying to help them see it in a different way. Because I believe that all success starts from the inside out. Success doesn't start on the outside, success starts inside of us. And then we become successful because of who we are or who we become. It's a great book with a great message. I mean, I read it. You are kind enough to sign a copy for me when it first came out, and I thank you for that. I really enjoyed it, and it, it was a, a beautiful fable. Talk to us a little bit about how this book has helped your business, how it's helped you with uh, getting new and different speaking engagements than you were getting before, how it's helped you with building brand awareness inside of your core audience and your core market. What are those things that it's assisted you in doing? A book to me, I didn't write a book for money. And I don't think a lot of people write books to make money. Now, listen, if you're a celebrity, you know, you've got a crazy story, right? Then yeah, you probably sell millions and millions and millions of copies. But for most people, that's not going to happen. So a book to me, I was trying to create something that was a bit of a business card on steroids, if you will. When you write a book, I think what you're doing is you're trying to incorporate inside of that book, what you or your company truly believe to be true. And it's so cool that in a few hundred pages that what you can do is, and now digitally obviously, is that you can create a story that people now will understand you. Then they can decide whether they should pick you or they shouldn't pick you. One of the great challenges in business, I believe, is that people are a little vanilla. They're afraid to stand up. They're afraid to have an opinion about something because, well, what if somebody doesn't like my opinion? But the challenge with that is if you don't have an opinion, if you don't have a strong belief, and if you don't stand for something, then the old saying is you sometimes fall for everything. But the bigger challenge is that people can't decide whether to pick you or not because you sort of look like everybody else. So the book to me is an opportunity for you to get a message to the public in terms of your philosophy, your beliefs, uh, your strategies, your tactics, what you believe in as a human being or an organization. And guess what? Some people are going to agree. You're going to get positive feedback. Some people are not. You're going to get negative feedback. But for the people that agree, you've created a fan. And now people have an opportunity to decide, is your organization an organization that they're interested in? Same with speaking. You know, people will now call me up because they read the book and they go, hey, I really believe in what you're talking about. But on the other hand, Some people probably say, hey, based on that book, I'm not going to be calling this guy, which I'm totally okay with because nobody is for everybody. Well said. Well said. I thought that was a brilliant way to encapsulate what really a book can do for a thought leader. So, Rich, another question I have for you. When you were getting started, you spoke about how you really powered through in that first year and you you did a lot of those speaking engagements. And that's what really helped bring in enough clients 
and put you on the path towards scaling. Imagine that someone listening to, to this is brand new as a thought leader the way you were, and they're really passionate about their area. What are the three things you would tell them that they absolutely got to focus on in order to get out there in the marketplace and stand out the way you did? Well, number one is this. I believe that giving starts the receiving process. And I think sometimes that we get a little too focused on trying to get rather than to give. And Jim Rowan, one of my mentors, unfortunately he's passed on, but I was at one of his seminars one time and he said this, he said, if you would wake up every day and if you would think, spend as much time thinking about how to deliver value to the marketplace as you do about thinking about how to make money, you would soon find yourself rich beyond belief. And I think a lot of people, and they're not doing it for the wrong reasons, but they go to work or they start an enterprise or whatever it is, and it's, it's really about the money. And the money to me is a complete byproduct. The money to me, uh, if I'm successful financially, that is probably because I've delivered a lot of value to the marketplace. So the number one thing, look at what it is you do and choose to deliver the unexpected, okay, um, in your field. So know, know first of all, Who's your target audience? Find out exactly who it is. It's way better to go narrow and deep, okay, than wide and shallow in any marketplace today because people are looking for experts. Um, and then make sure what you're doing is you're truly going out into the market and you're giving value before you expect anything in return. And if you continue to do that, believe me, the rewards will be plentiful and you will feel really good about yourself. That would be number one. Number two. I would say, and I know this is, you know, maybe oversaid, but I think it's so important. Remain thankful. I see sometimes we move from thankfulness to entitlement. And entitlement is really not a good place to be. It's when we feel deserving. Um, and I look at it and say that, you know, we, we live in such a beautiful world. I know there's problems and everything else. Um, I happen to live in Canada, wonderful country. We live in North America. And I think sometimes what happens is we stop seeing the little things that are so good and we spend too much time looking at the problems and what is wrong. But the opportunities that we have uh, in this day and age with technology, um, so just just keep seeing the bright side. Be so thankful for everything we have, have in our life. It's like, you know, I say to somebody, when you're stuck in traffic, uh, be thankful. You're in a car. A lot of people don't have cars. You know what I mean? When your computer crashes, be thankful you have a computer. You know, you wake up in the middle of the night and you're walking to the fridge and you trip over toys. Be thankful you have children. And that's what I mean by be thankful. I mean, you, you know, you, you wake up in the morning, you're a little tired. Be thankful. Hey, we woke up. It's a good thing. You know what I mean? We get another day ahead of us. So that would be the second thing. And I think the third thing, I'm a real believer in integrity as a human being and as an organization. What I mean by that is do what you say you're going to do and do it when you say you're going to do it. I see today we live in a world that it's, it's sometimes easy to stand out just by doing what it is you're going to say. If you tell somebody you're going to call them back at 2 o'clock, call them back at 2 o'clock, not 2.15. You know, if you tell somebody you're going to show up, show up. You tell somebody I'm going to have a proposal delivered to you by Wednesday, have that proposal delivered by Wednesday. Because when you do what you say you're going to do over a long period of time, people start to trust you. And trust to me creates a bond that is very difficult to break uh, unless you start to do what you say 
you know, you, you, you're not going to do or you didn't do. Because when you really look at it, you say that, you know, it takes a long time to build trust and it takes seconds to lose it. So I find that if you can get people to depend on you and people think about it this way, when I give Rich a job, I never have to worry about it again because I know it'll be done. When you become known as that, people will start to seek you out. But not only that, they will tell everybody else about you and your business will start to grow organically. Rich, wow, there's a lot of gold in what you just said, a lot. And I gotta say, I find myself agreeing with it. One of the key things that uh, Michael and I preach inside the work we do with our clients is have a narrow niche, have a narrow target market. And I know that yours is very narrow. I mean, I've heard both you and one of the folks who used to, uh, who worked with you uh, talk about that in the past. Could you tell us, just for the benefit of the listener, exactly how narrow your own target niche is, just so people can understand that? Right. Well, what we do is I work specifically in real estate sales training and coaching. And I work with the real estate sales agents as well as the brokers. Now, saying that, I I just got back last night. I, I did five talks this week all across Canada. And somebody approached me just yesterday, actually, and said, you know, everything you teach is transferable to other industries. How come you're not working in other industries? Um, I said, because I want to be able to understand an in- industry at such a deep level that, you know, people naturally will decide to choose me. You know, so, hey, if you're having a conference and you want a, a, a real estate speaker, well, guess what? I'm probably going to be on the list. You might not choose me, but I'm going to be on the list. You know, somebody's in the financial services industry and looking for a speaker, I'm probably not going to get chosen. So I look at it that way as I want people to perceive me as an absolute expert in my industry. And they know that if they come to me uh, or the organization that, you know, we can we can completely help them because we understand it at, let's say, a deeper level than most. So that, that's sort of what it means to me. Richard, you said something a little earlier about your mentor. And, and one of the things Nikki and I pay a lot of attention to are the, the clues that success leaves behind. And I'd like to hear a little bit more about some of the people and and maybe programs or things that contributed to your own success. What were they and and uh, what did you take away from them? Well, I'd say, first of all, reading, uh, because I'm not, you know, I, I sort of joke around that, I, that I, I left college after two months and it wasn't because I graduated early, if you know what I'm saying. So I, you know, I, I don't have much of a formal education. I sort of went to the school of hard knocks. And I started reading just after that and, you know, probably whatever, 30, 40, 50 books a year. And, and that, that changed my life because I think books are so cool that, you know, you can take in 200 pages and you can experience what it took somebody 20 years to learn. I think that is the coolest thing in the world, right? Because, you know, books are based on somebody else's knowledge and it didn't take them, you know, just a year to learn all of that. So that's first. Second, um, I started uh, going to speakers when I was struggling, this is back when I owned a real estate brokerage. And when I say struggling, I mean, I was down and out. You know, I opened a brokerage. I was three years in. Uh, my partner and I, Dana Richard, we were well, we were broke. We were born on MasterCard to pay Visa. I can tell you those crazy stories. And I didn't know what to do. I, I was out of ideas because the challenge was I only knew what I knew. I didn't know what I didn't know. 
And uh, so anyway, somebody says, hey, you should go to the Jim Rohn seminar. So anyway, I checked it all out. It was down in Dallas, Texas. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, how am I going to fly down there? I don't have any money and stay in a hotel. But anyway, I drove from Toronto to Buffalo, got a cheap flight, stayed in a cheap hotel down the street from the big hotel where he was having the event. And those three days, that was the beginning of change for me. He, he mentioned so many things in that seminar and he opened my mind. He, it was a new philosophy. I would say that he taught me to think differently. Like Jim Rohn didn't give me a lot of tactical things. Uh, he didn't say, you know, here's the 10 steps to selling more real estate. That wasn't it at all. But what he did was he changed my thinking. He opened my mind. He allowed me to see things in a different way than I'd ever seen them before. And then I became a little bit of a junkie in that sense. You know, then Zig Ziglar was a huge influence in my life. Went to Tom Hopkins seminars and, you know, and all of these sort of, you know, now we would consider older trainers, but you know, back then it was it was just absolutely amazing that you could have access to that information. And you look at it today, we live in such a beautiful world because, you know, you're doing this podcast. This podcast is going to go out to all kinds of people. You know, they don't have to leave their office, their car, their house to gain access to all of this information. And I find it sort of sad, I guess, that more people don't engage uh, in personal development to to discover what it is they don't know which can lead to so many magnificent and beautiful places in our life. Uh, so for me, it's always been, uh, you know, books and seminars. And now, of course, it's become, you know, still books. But a lot of I listen to a lot of podcasts now. I used to listen to audio books and I sort of moved over to podcasts. And now I, I, I read all of my books and that sort of thing because, you know, information is just so accessible today. All of the best ideas are right there in front of us. We just got to seek them out. It's inspirational. And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to your story. It's like you're broke and yet you get in a car and you drive across our continent, which would have been a huge investment of your time, a huge investment of money. And you, and you, and you did it. And it was a major breakthrough. Now I know a lot of people out there that wouldn't have made that decision. What is it about you that and how can other people that are listening, you know, if they're in this a similar situation, find what, what they need inside to take those kinds of risks and bold moves? Well, I think you, to me, you've got to have the, uh, the big dream. Like to me, it was always, and I don't know why, I don't know, you know, honestly, whether I did it out of fear because I wasn't educated, maybe I couldn't get a job and uh, I didn't think I was employable. Um, but I, I, I don't know why just, I was always the guy that January 1st, I'd be sitting at home when I was a kid with my parents and my two brothers and sister, and I'd say, let's get pads out and set goals. I just love goal setting. I love the idea of, of deciding where it is I want to go next year. However, when I choose to go somewhere that I've never been before, when I choose to chase a really big goal, what I know is what I presently have the ability, okay, uh, based on my training, my experience, what I've learned has got me where I are, where I am, I should say. But my question always is, what do I need to learn to get where I need to go? So if I want my life to be bigger, if I want my business to be better, if I want my relationships to be better, that means I got to I gotta do something different than I'm doing. And what is it? Well, let's go find that out because all of the answers are out there. I remember uh, Jack Canfield, I was listening to Jack Canfield one day, and he said, if you don't have a million-dollar goal, you will never find a million-dollar idea. And I love that thought because, you know, most people, what they do is, you know, they're, they're trying to sort of pay their bills or trying to get through the next year. 
And it's interesting how they figure that out. It's interesting how they make enough to get by. But the question is, are they, are they making enough to really make their dreams come true? And they're finding the ideas to get by. But what if they decide to set bigger goals and find those ideas? What if they decide to say, okay, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to improve the quality of my relationships. I'm going to get way better physical shape. And then set that as a goal, but then write down the compelling benefits to that coming true. Like get emotionally engaged in it. Go, boy, if I could do that, you know, what are those three, four, five compelling benefits? And then write down what are the negative consequences to not getting there? So let's say I don't hit that goal because it's going to be hard, right? Like, come on, growth is hard. You know, going somewhere you've never been before is a little scary sometimes. And I think fear is a, a tremendous driver in the world, but unfortunately, it usually drives us to where we are instead of where we want to go. It keeps us stuck, right? But write down what are the compelling benefits and negative consequences and look at them every day. And then keep looking for the ideas. Because when you have a million dollar goal, now what you got to say is, what is the million dollar idea to get me there? What do I need to do today if I want to make a million rather than, you know, what I'm doing today is say, get me a hundred thousand or whatever the number is. So I think having the dream, the goals, the big picture in front of you, emotionally connecting with them by writing down the compelling benefits and the negative consequences, and then looking at it every day and then surrounding yourself with what I call triple A people. And the triple A people are, you know, the people or the podcast or the information or the seminars or the books, right? Because, you know, somebody wrote that book, that's a person. Somebody's doing a seminar, that's a person. That'll get you there because as we all know, success leaves clues. Yeah, inspirational. One of the reasons why we why we created the Business of Thought Leadership was to, to bring stories like yours to inspire people, to have them be courageous in their life and take bold moves. And this episode's been fantastic for that. Uh, I know Nikki's got a few, qu- few more questions, but I just want to, uh, for me, I want to ask this next one is resistance. We all face resistance. What's your resistance and, you know, today and uh, how are you overcoming it? I, there's no question in my mind. My biggest fear, my biggest resistance is the fear of failure. I think I still think, and I know it's an insecurity, but I, I'll tell you, I think what drives me is I'm just not going to fail. You know, I, I, will, I will do whatever it takes, right? Work ethic. Um, there was a great actor, oh, I just can't remember his name, but I, I heard him speaking one time, and, and he, said, uh, he said, nobody, nobody will outwork me. It was Will Smith. Will Smith, that's right. that's right. Will Smith, you're right. I, I listened nobody, to the same interview, buddy. <laughs> yeah, nobody will outwork me. And I thought, man, you know, that's really cool. Like he wants it so bad that nobody's going to outwork him. They might be more talented, right? Might have more experience, but they're not going to outwork him. So, so that's my fear. I don't know if you consider that resistance, but I believe, you know, fear is creating resistance. And, uh, and I, I just look at it and say there's, you know, there's so many, there's just, so many opportunities. There's there's so much in this world that we all can experience. And the number one thing that generally holds us back is, you know, there's fears. We all have our own fears. And I think my fear is the fear of failure. And, you know, some people are, some people have fear of success, right? Some people are just afraid of the unknown. They don't know what's going to happen. Other people, they don't want to be rejected. And other people, they don't want to, don't want to fail. So I say, identify what it is. If you can, talk to some people that's holding you back. And we all know that 
you know, courage is in the absence of fear, right? Everybody's afraid, right? Courage is moving forward even when you are afraid. And then the only way to beat fear, obviously, is to face it. Because at one time, public speaking was my greatest fear, which is really interesting. And right now, it's the thing that gives you the most energy. How about that? <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I, some, I jokingly say, geez, I wonder if all of our dreams are lying on the other side of our fears, right? <laughs> Maybe they are, right? You know what's amazing about what you just said is, I mean, to the listener who's listening to this, if you think about the thing that you're afraid of the most, just like Rich was afraid of public speaking, and you push through that fear, it could, it could very well turn into the thing that makes your life magical beyond words, just like it's done for Rich. Right, Rich? Yeah. Well, I wonder, I wonder if we are innately created in a way that we must overcome our fears to get what we really want. I wonder if that's the price that's needed to be paid. I'm kind of thinking your wonder might be true. Right. <laughs> Anyways, listen, Rich, we have a whole community on Facebook. We have on Facebook a group called the Business of Thought Leadership. There's a lot of thought leaders on there. They're aspiring thought leaders to, to big names like Jack Canfield and, and Darren Hardy and so forth. And what we did in preparation for this interview is we asked some of our members if they would uh, send us some questions that they would want us to ask you. And we would acknowledge them by name on the air, and we'd uh, also reach out to them and give them a gift as a way of saying thank you. So I've got a couple questions for you, if that's all right. Sure. Rob Cavanaugh, his question for you is, if you had to do it all over again, what would you have done differently? If I had to do it all over again, what would I have done differently? You know what I would have done? I would have been, uh, you know, because when I, was, when I first started the business, I was so driven that my team, my staff had trouble keeping up with me and it was difficult for them. And I was not a great leader because I was so driven to produce results that I put a lot of pressure on people. And unfortunately, because of that, you know, I churned through a lot of staff. Today, 20 years later, we've got an amazing team. I love them to death. They're like my family. We have very little turnover today. We hire really slow because we want to get the right person. So my greatest lesson was it can't be about me. It's got to be about us. And uh, it took me a while to learn that. And again, most people that are working for you are not going to have the same ambition and the same drive as you. Um, and for you to expect that is probably going to cause you problems. You know, that's so true. There's a lot of entrepreneurs who think that uh, their employees need to be just like them, and they don't. I mean, if these folks wanted the pressure of running a company, that's what they'd be doing. Right. So it's important to remember that. So our next question is from Jane Cassell. She said, all rock stars like you need world-class energy levels. What are the top three things that you do that you attribute your energy levels to? Uh, number one is uh, I wake up, you know, I think, you know, it's, I think a lot of people do this, but I wake up early. I like getting up at five o'clock. I spend the first hour in the morning. It's called R&R &R time, review and reflection time. And what I do is I, uh, I, I do a whole bunch of different things, which sometimes can be different, but I journal every day about what happened yesterday, what I'm feeling right now. And then I write the three things that I'm grateful for because I, I, I always want to remain thankful and grateful for everything I have. And I never want to get to that entitlement side. 
And then I so I have a living legacy, and that's sort of my big goals, my future. I quickly review that, have a look at that, maybe sometimes make some changes to that. And then what I do is I, you know, I, I meditate for about 10 minutes. I am not good at this, but I am doing my absolute best. I use an app called Headspace, and I do this just while I'm having a coffee. Then I'll sort of open up my phone and I might check my emails and clean up stuff in the morning. And then the next thing I do is I work out and I put a gym in my house. When I'm on the road, obviously I go for a run and I, I try to get some exercise. Uh, I don't work out hard. You know what I mean? I'm not one of these bodybuilder type guys, but I just believe in moving the body for some people. Maybe it's go for a walk. I just put on a podcast and I go for a nice run and I really enjoy myself. I make it fun. I, I don't work out in a way that I don't enjoy the process. I like the process. And then the next thing for me, uh, because I, I travel so much, is you got to eat lightly. I think I think people eat too much. And uh, and I know I'm 55 now, so as I get older, yeah, I don't need as many calories as I used to. And uh, I get a little bigger around the middle once in a while. So I just try to like eat smaller plates instead of large plates. And, uh, you know, if I'm with somebody, share a meal, that sort of thing, because I find that we just eat too many calories, which requires a lot of energy to digest food, which actually tires you out. They'd be my three big things. I love it. Those are fantastic. So, so Rich, we like to end off each one of our episodes by asking our, our expert thought leader for their three expert action steps for the listener. And then we, we like to end this off by giving you an opportunity to talk about any events, if you've got a new book coming out or anything else you want people to know about. So would you please go ahead and do that right now for us? Okay, I'll make it sort of old school stuff, but it's still true, right? There are universal truths in the world. And sometimes, you know, we're always trying to reinvent the wheel, but maybe the old wheel is just fine. First of all, we've got to have a compelling future. I call it future focus. So sit down. And I remember many years ago when I first started in real estate, 24 years old, I had a great year and then I got depressed after and I went to the doctor, doctor's nothing wrong with you. And, you know, and the whole problem I discovered is, you know, I had this really great year and, and I didn't know what I wanted to do, you know. And so I sat down with a yellow pad. I know it sounds crazy, but I wrote down 50 things I wanted to do before I die. Crazy things. It was weird. I wrote down I wanted to fly a fighter jet and all this like, crazy stuff. And I'll tell you, a lot of them have come true. I flew a fighter jet in South Africa when I got asked to speak over there. How cool is that, right? Like That's cool, man. I it, love that. I know. Like, So I got excited. I said, okay, this is what I want my life to stand for. You know what I mean? This is what I want my 800,000 hours on this earth to be, right? It's not going to be just waking up, you know, drudgery or going here, going home, having dinner and watching TV. No, let's do something. Let's experience the world. So I got really excited. I created a compelling future that when I looked at that compelling future, when I read my living legacy, I go, hey, that's really fun. Let's get there. Like, it's almost like every morning is like going on a holiday. You know what I mean? Because you're looking at life as a complete adventure. The second thing is this. Be careful because I find that people try to do too much too fast. And I was one of those. And it's interesting. But if you look diets, uh, they say that you know, dieting is a $50 billion a year industry. And only 2% of diets are successful long-term. So imagine people spending $50 billion a year for a 2% success rate. And I believe that is because that, you know, people don't fail diets, diets fail people. It's too hard. They can't do that long-term, right? So I look and say, hey, listen, if, if you drink Coke as an example, if you just quit drinking one Coke a day, that's what, 130 calories, times that by seven days, times that by, you know, X number of months and figure out 
every year, you're 3,500 calories to a pound, right? You know how much weight you would lose over the course of one year, but you're not trying to lose 20 pounds in the next four weeks. It's too hard. So when we set our goals, sometimes we try to do too much. We try to change everything too fast. And what I've discovered is small actions perform with consistency over time will create dramatic results in your life. So whether it's making five phone calls a day or two phone calls a day or committing to, okay, I'm going to go for a walk five days a week or whatever it is, just, just pick two or three small things that you can do every day that's not hard, right? It's going to take some work, but it's not terribly hard. And then do it with absolute consistency. Do it over and over and over and over and over again, and you watch the results. They'll start to happen. And then I would say uh, the third thing is surround yourself with great people. Like, I mean, AAA people. So if you're going to hire people, hire slow, fire fast, hire talent, invest in people that believe in what you're doing as an organization. If you're going to have friends, have friends that are going to inspire you. You know what I mean? They're excited. They have dreams. They have goals just like you, but not people that are going to pull you down, you know, and go to seminars, read books, interact with people, listen to podcasts like this, that you're changing the way you think. You're putting new powerful stuff into your head on a regular basis. Listen, crap in, crap out, right? So put powerful stuff. It's almost like what you're doing is you're, you're working with a software. I believe the body's the hardware, the mind's the software. Keep programming the software with great stuff and good stuff will start to come out. Fantastic, Rich. Well, Rich, you know, our podcast is called The Business of Thought Leadership. And a lot of our listeners are coaches and consultants and, and entrepreneurs and so forth. But we do have a number of real estate uh, professionals, real estate agents, realtors, brokers who listen to our podcast because they believe in the value of establishing themselves as a thought leader within the industry as well. So is there anything that you're up to right now that you would like to let these folks know about that they can go and find out more about you, your events, your programs, your books that you'd like to let people know about? Sure. Um, I would say first thing, our, our website, richardrobbins.com. Uh, we've got an event coming up in November in Toronto. You're welcome to have a look at that. You know, we've, our, we have one-on-one -on -one coaching that, you know, we do on a regular basis. That's sort of what we do the most of, if you will. But I would say, you know, for those interested, grab a copy of the book, right? You know, uh, you can get book. it on Amazon, you can get audio copy, digital copy, hard copy, whatever you want. And I think if you read through the book, you're going to start to understand the way we think as an organization. And hey, if you buy into our philosophies and have a look at our website, and we'd love to help you any way we can. Well, that's fantastic. So I want to just say, uh, Rich, thank you again for being on this podcast. It's been a real delight. I've gotten a ton out of it. I know our listener is going to get a ton out of it. I listen to each and every podcast again when we uh, bring it out so that I can get the value and the learning from a different perspective, from that of a listener, not just an interviewer. It's been a real honor and a real treat to have you on this podcast. I appreciate it very much being invited. I always say it's always a great honor to be invited to uh, do anything like this. So Michael and Nikki, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Richard, and and uh, I really feel like you're AAA people. So we've uh, we've done your one of your success clues already today, and uh, so thank you everyone for listening. Uh, we've had a great time. We'd love to talk about a few things here. You mentioned something that I thought was really interesting, Richard. So for our listeners, you know, what's your fear? Go on to Facebook to the Business of Thought Leadership. Write down what your fear is and what you're doing about it. Share it with the community. There's also a private group that you can join. We'll uh, we'll accept you into that as well. 
we we really want to get the word out. We'd love your honest feedback. So please go to iTunes, subscribe, leave a review, let us know what you 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 like uh, or what you don't like. You know, one star, five star, it's all good to us. And as and last, no, we only want five star, Michael. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, we we want honesty, right? Um, it helps us get better. And as well, lastly, is we have a, a, a little device that enables you to ask questions. Go to thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com forward slash questions. Leave us a question, and uh, we'd love to put that onto the podcast and, and use it for our guests. So if you'd like to have us book a guest, please do that as well. Thank you, and goodbye. You've been listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. For more information and to download the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit us at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Thank you for listening.